Let the lowly brother boast in his exhortation, and let the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers fall, and its beauty perishes. So also with the rich man, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and, when sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of these creatures. There ends our reading. We continue in our study through the book of James, and this afternoon we'll be looking at verse 12. Last Lord's Day, we considered verse 9 through to verse 11. And what we noticed as our big idea was our main our main line of thinking was that true faith embraces God's outlook to both poverty and riches. True faith embraces God's eternal outlook to both poverty and riches. And, and the lesson really from there was this, that we need to glory in our standing before God and not in our status before men. Our glory or our boasting must be in the fact that we have a right relationship with our God because of Christ and not because of our abilities, our capacities or the gifts that we've accumulated over the years. And also we, we, we learned that when it comes to the Christian faith, it is the Christian faith that uh, takes into consideration those who are rich and those who are of uh, uh, humble circumstances and still equalize them by acknowledging that they are both God's children and therefore uh, precious in the sight of God. This afternoon we focus on verse 12. And here we see that true faith perseveres under trial. True faith perseveres under trial. James returns to the theme he introduced at the beginning of his letter in verse 2 through to verse 4. And there he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfected and complete, lacking in nothing. And so James now is taking us back, but this time he's showing us that true faith perseveres under trials. It perseveres under trials. And in verse 12, he's, he's, he calls the, the, the persevering believer as a blessed one. And he, he tells us that the, he is blessed. And because of the love he has for his God, that believer will receive the, the crown of life. And in James' mind, just from dealing in verse 9 through to verse uh, 11 about the rich and the poor, and now he comes to verse 12, and he basically wants us to focus on our mind, our minds on what true blessedness is all about, and who is the blessed man. Don't forget the context of the book. We've said that he's writing to those who have been dispersed, due to persecution or many other reasons. And he wants them to have this in mind, that while they are under persecution, true faith perseveres under trials. Because God who's begun that work in them will surely bring it to completion. And therefore, those who are under trials must trust God and persevere in those trials, and God himself will reward them. And so true faith, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the various trials that you find yourself in, you will persevere, because that faith is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ and his finished work. And it's daily being, uh, being accompanied by God the Holy Spirit. So let's open up verse 12 and just draw some lessons for ourselves this afternoon. The first thing we see is the responsibility that given in this verse. The responsibility given. And it's captured in the first part of verse 12. Verse 12a. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. Now, James is immediately linking blessedness and trials. And the call to persevere is the responsibility of all those who claim to be Christians. The call to persevere under trials is the responsibility of all those who claim to be Christians. And he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. What a paradox this statement seems to be that a person is blessed who is tried and remains steadfast. That's what James is saying. 
A person is blessed who is tried and remained steadfast under trials. Now the word used there for blessed had a number of meanings among the Greeks or communicated different ideas among the Greeks. In the minds of the Greeks, the person who was considered blessed, or rather this word blessed, was used in reference to the gods. So the gods of the Greeks were, were usually referred to as blessed. And so in the minds of the, the Greeks, the blessed ones were those who were gods. Those who were gods or the gods, their gods were deemed as blessed because their gods, as far as they are concerned, had achieved the state of happiness and contentment and they lived beyond the cares and the labors of life on earth. So the gods were up there in another world, detached from what was happening on earth, detached from the concerns and the cares and the labors of life on earth. And therefore, they were looked to as the blessed ones. They were the blessed beings because they lived in the world far away from the cares and the problems and the worries of ordinary people. And so to be blessed, you needed to be a god. Another way that this word was used, or the, I, the, another idea was, it, the term blessed was used in reference to those who are dead. And so again, the idea was because they were dead, they were no longer in this world, they were no longer living, through their death, they had, exi they had exited this world, left this world into another realm where again the trials and cares of this life would not harm them or will not trouble them in any way. And then the third usage or the idea of this word, blessed, was used to refer to the social economic of the elites, those who are rich, those who are wealthy. And the idea again was that because of their riches and their, their power, the rich were in a class of their own where they would, they would use their power or their riches to get what they wanted. And so the wealth they had accumulated would care, would care for their day-to-day their -day living. They would use their wealth to resolve their problems, resolve their cares, and therefore they were not in a state of worry like those who were of humble circumstance. And they would not constantly struggle like uh, those who did not have anything. And so, in the minds of the, 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 the Greeks, they felt that one who was blessed 
needed to be a god dead or filthy rich in order for them to be referred to as blessed. And now as James is writing, he uses a word that was very common, but showing them that firstly, those who are blessed are those who can identify themselves as the servants of God, and not just to end there, those who are blessed are those, even though they go through trials, they will persevere. They will hold on to their God. They do not need to be filthy rich. They do not, to be, they do not need to be a God. They do not need to be dead in order for them to be blessed. James is writing to the saints. And it's saying those who are truly blessed are those who are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ and those who perseveres when they go through trials. So the blessed person is the person who is truly born again. He's been born of God and is in that state that blessed state of existence because of his relationship with God. And therefore, because of his relationship with God, from God's perspective, such a one is blessed because he has a right relationship with God. And therefore, God doesn't need to transfer wealth or, or to transfer any physical blessings to this person or to such a person in order to show that they are blessed. Rather, is to remind them that because of the state of existence in a relationship with God, through Christ Jesus, they are truly Blessed. And so James begins there, then he goes on to show that blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. And he's basically saying a blessed person, one who is truly born again, will be put to the test. He will go through trials. And these trials uh, will come to verify the authenticity of his faith or our faith in God. And he says, the man who is truly blessed will persevere under trials. And so, James brings this responsibility to all those who claim to be Christians. That it is your responsibility to remain steadfast under trials. And this is what it says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. And to James' mind is that God's children 
in this world who go through trials. And as they go through trials, their focus is not on the trials themselves. In as much as the trials will be hurting, their focus is on the sovereign God who's allowed these trials in their lives. And because of the, 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 the relationship with God, because of the present reality of the fact that they are God's children, they will run to God and ask God for grace to help them persevere in these trials. And hence he says, blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trials. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who will reward obedience and faithfulness. And your responsibility is to persevere. The trials of life serve as a glorious purpose to verify and to attest to the reality of the personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why James is saying, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Christians are already in a blessed relationship because their sins have been forgiven by God. But more so, blessed are they if they persevere under trials. They remain steadfast under trials to the very end. And this is the responsibility for you and I. The second thing we see there is the reward for perseverance. The reward for perseverance. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. Listen, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life of life. And James moves on to now show the reward for perseverance. This promised reward to those who will persevere. And he gives this promise that there is a reward. And that reward, according to James, is the crown of life. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. And notice James does not write or does not begin by saying, if he has stood the test. His writing is saying, for when he has stood the test. He's basically saying that, if the person understands their blessed state because of the relationship they have with God, they will persevere. And when they persevere, he gives the reason, is that when they've stood the test, they will be rewarded. 
they will receive the crown of life. And so the certainty is that the genuineness of the, their Christian faith will be determined when they are tested. When they are tested. And then James says there is a reward. Jesus Christ will give you a crown if you faithfully and responsibly handle your trials of life in a Christ-honoring way. Only those who remain steadfast, who persevere through trials and cross the finishing line with their faith intact, will receive the crown of life. Now as to what exactly the crown of life is, there is a lot of debate. The nature of it, there is a lot of debate. But at least one thing we know is that James is not talking about eternal life because believers already have eternal life in Christ. So there must be something in addition to the eternal life that is ours in Christ Jesus. And you remember the apostle also mentions the crown of life in, when, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8. When he writes to Timothy and he says, I fought the good fight, I finished the rest. So now is remained for me a crown which God the righteous judge will give not only to me but to all those who look forward to his appearing. So clearly we see that there's, there's a sense in which the scriptures talk about God rewarding faithfulness. The initial reward for all is the fact that we have been united to Christ and our union with Christ brings about eternal life and he gives us the Holy Spirit who is a deposit or the guarantee that we belong to Christ. But in addition, God is going to reward faithfulness. And here we are being told it is this crown of life. William Buckley gives the following ideas on the crown. He says, The crown of flowers was worn at times of joy, at weddings, and at feasts. So there was the crown the crown was the sign of festive joy. So the, there was a crown that was worn during weddings or uh, joyous times, and it was referred to as, as the crown, as the festive uh, crown. Then there was also the, the crown was the mark of, uh, of royalty. Royalty. It was worn by kings and by those in authority. Sometimes this was the crown of God. Other times it was, it was the linen band of fillet worn around the foreheads. Then there was also the crown of leaves, of flower, the crown of leaves rather. And this was the victor's crown in, in, in competitions or in games. And so those who would be competing in games 
they would look forward to receive a crown of leaves, a, a, a price that was uh, highly coveted by those who would compete in such games. And then there was, then there was the, the crown was the mark of honor and of dignity. It was a mark of honor and of dignity. And sometimes the instructions of parents were referred to as a crown of grace to those who listened to them. And when you look at all these ideas that Barclay gives about the crown of flowers, the crown was a mark, so it was a sign of festive joy, it was a sign of royalty, it was a victor's crown, it was a mark of honor and of dignity. And so when it is now used in reference to Christians, you actually see that all these four ideas are mixed together and brought into one idea. When you think of Christians uh, before God or Christians in the presence of God. And so there's a sense in which you could think of this crown of life as, as a time when there will be this festive joy in the presence of God. When God's people are brought forth from all corners of the earth and then are ushered into the presence of God and there will be this feast of love. But it will also be can also be understood as royalty to show that we are heirs of the Father, joint heirs with the Son. There is royalty. We belong to the King. And God is going to elevate us on that day in His presence. But also there is a sense in which can be thought of as the crown of honor and dignity, where God honors us, we who lived in sin and we've been washed in the blood of Christ and we've been honored. But also it can be thought of as that prize that all of us must look forward to as Christians where God is going to say to each one of us, well done, good and faithful servant. And so when James talks about this crown of life, this crown of life can be thought of as this, this, em, this emblem, not simply of, of royalty, but of the highest joy and gladness of glory in the presence of God. It suggests the fullness of life that God grants to all those who've endured the test of faith. Those who would have held to God tenaciously, even in the midst of trials, there awaits for them a crown. And whatever this might be, one thing we can agree is that it will be the fullness of life in addition to the gift of eternal life that God has given us in Christ Jesus. It is this crown of life that will show these are the ones who persevered under trials. 
And in many ways, it is a crown that God will give to all his children because Christ has accomplished it for them. The knowledge that God rewards and recognizes faithfulness of faithful Christian service must be an incentive to godly living. It must be an incentive. We must look beyond the finishing line. It's not just enough that we'll get to heaven, but we must look beyond the finishing line and seeing the righteous judge saying to each one of us, well done, good and faithful servant. And that must be an incentive to godly living. That as we live in this world, our eyes are focused on the author and finisher of our faith. And as trials come, our eyes are focused on the author and finisher of our God, of our faith. Someone has said that the Christian life or Christians are, are like tea bags. You don't know what they are made of until you put them in hot water. Then you begin to see what they are made of coming out. And that's what trials do to our faith. Now we must not become presumptuous and think that we can receive the crown of life apart from perseverance apart from persevering to the end. We cannot rest upon our glories or our past experiences of faith. We must persevere in the faith to the very end against all obstacles, through all trials, and only then we will receive the crown of life. And this is the mystery of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. The scripture teaches both. God is sovereign and we are responsible. Yes, God has accomplished eternal life for us in Christ Jesus, but it is the same God who asks us to, to persevere through trials. Only then we will receive the crown of life. Christ fulfilled this for us. He was tried. He was tested. He persevered under trials. The ultimate trial was for him to give his life on our behalf. In spite of Satan's tempting him to deviate from the way leading to the cross, Christ stood and trusted himself to the Father. In that day, in spite of being abandoned by his own disciples, he did not shrink back from the cross. By perseverance, Jesus won the crown for us. He did not just win the crown for himself, but also for us that we might reign with him forever. 
He is the author and the perfecter of our faith, the forerunner who, who blazed the way for us by his perfect obedience. He's achieved that for us and is now telling us to follow his example and to persevere in our trials. And we must not become presumptuous. We will only receive the crown of life if we persevere. And Christ has paved the way for us. He's accomplished it for us. And he's now saying, walk in the same path that I trod and come to me. Follow my lead. Follow my example. And once you follow my example, it will be joy for you in my presence. There is a reward for perseverance. And James calls it the crown of life. But in the third place, who are the recipients of this reward? The recipients of this reward. The last part of verse 12. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Which God has promised to those who love him. And the, the recipient of the reward for perseverance are those who love the Lord. That's what the Bible tells us. This reward goes to those who love God. He shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. And it's very interesting uh, development there. James is saying only those who love the Lord will endure affliction, trials, and temptation for God. Only those who genuinely love God will endure all forms of trials, all forms of afflictions, all forms of temptation for the sake of the object of their love. It is not those who merely say they love God. It is those who truly love God. The difficulties of trials of life are really about the love for God. It's not about love for self. It's about your love for your God. The trials of life are given to prove that you love your God. They come so that you prove to your Savior that you love him. You are sincere about your profession of your love for him. The Lord Jesus Christ already knows that you love him. So when, God, when the Bible says 
which God has promised to those who love him. What are we really being taught? If God really knows those who are his, and Christ knows those who are his, why does the Bible say which God has promised to those who love him? I think the, the answer that James gives us is that trials put your love for Christ on display. Trials put your love for Christ on display. Yes, he knows that you love him. You know that you love him. And when trials come, and you endure those trials for the sake of the love you have for God. It puts your love for God for the world to see. That your love for God is not just rhetoric, it's real. It's not just theoretical, it's real. You are willing to suffer shame and loss for the sake of the one you love. while you continue serving God he is glorified because you are putting your love for him for all to see and you are able to say whatever the situation whatever adverse situation or circumstance my love for God is real Jonathan Edwards, in his classical book, Religious Affections, wrote, and I quote, Sometimes a person will mistakenly think that he loves God when he is only somewhat grateful for what he perceives to be God's blessings. Sometimes a person will mistakenly think that he loves God when he's only somewhat grateful for what he perceives to be God's blessings. But that isn't real love, Edwards argue. It is only self-interest, end of God. And what he's really saying is that it's very easy to think you really love God when actually you simply are more interested in God's blessings to you. Until trials come, like old Job, you find yourself in a position where everything is taken away. You've got nothing. And you still are able to say, the Lord gave. And the Lord has taken. Blessed be his name. And we can read Job's words today. Yes, he went through a real trial. But we can see that he's displayed his love for God. And we can learn from him how to persevere under trials. Our love for God must be motivation 
for enduring trials. There is no reward for those who do not love God. Those who have self-interest, what awaits them at the end of, of their journey is hell. But those who truly love God will persevere because of their love for God. Jesus' love for the Father and for the elect made him to persevere to the very end, even unto death on the cross. We are told, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. And Jesus' will was to do the Father's will. He loved the Father. And the Father had given him a people and he came and died for them. And while he was on this earth, his love for the elect, his love for the Father was his motivation until that day on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. It was love. And when he hung on the cross, he had you in mind. He loves you. Do you love him back? How much do you love him? Your love for him must be motivation to go through trials, but also must be motivation for you to save him, to sacrifice your time, your, your talents, your material possession, not, not because of anything else but because of the love for him and you're saying to yourself whatever comes my way i want my love for god to be on the display for the world to see that he is mine and i am his and therefore if it means giving my time my resources my talents my gifts i will do so so that the world can know that i love god And I'll make sure that his name spreads far and wide. He is mine and I am his. A true believer is not one who made a profession of faith in Christ at some point in their lives. But it is one who demonstrates his true faith by ongoing love for his God. A love which cannot change. A love that cannot be damaged or destroyed by the troubles or the trials of life. How is your service and your love for God? Is there an ongoing demonstration that you love your God? We're not saying whether you've made a, you've 
once made a profession of faith before. Is your love for God on display? Can people say you truly love your God? For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Only those who endure, who persevere through trials and, and cross the finishing line with their faith intact, with their, their love for God on display, those are the ones that will receive the crown of life. True faith perseveres to the end. And we can only persevere if we continuously lean on the everlasting arms of God. We can only persevere if we are constantly having fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And as we do so, we are daily being reminded that trials are passing. Yes, they will come. Yes, they will be severe. But they will come and go. But your love for God is permanent. It's for eternity. And in this world, you have an opportunity to demonstrate your love for God in how you respond to the trials of life. The hymn we'll be singing shortly in closing, the hymn writer is, is helping us to see what a joy is ours when we lean on Jesus. He says, what a fellowship, what a joy is mine, leaning on the everlasting hands of God. I have blessed peace with my God so near, leaning on the everlasting arms of God. What have I to dread? What have I to fear when I'm leaning on the everlasting arms of God? Oh, that this may be our attitude as we go through trials and that we may persevere because he who loved us has paved the way for us and is now saying, walk on that road. Come to me and demonstrate your love for me. Let's pray. Our Father, we do, not want, we do not want to pretend or to be naive that trials are not real. Oftentimes we are tossed to and from by the trials of life, and they are many. Trials from within, trials from without, trials from our loved ones, trials from our enemies, trials from our own sinfulness, trials from the sinfulness of others. Oh, that you may grant us this increasing faith 
increasing grace, growing love, that we may abide in your will. We do not know what some might be going through this evening. Lord, we pray that you may cause them to persevere to the very end. May God the Holy Spirit continue to lead them in their trials. May you work in their hearts so that when they've come out of these trials, they may look back with a heart that is grateful for the trials that came their way. It is in those moments when you teach us deeper truths of your word. It is in those moments when you teach us that we can trust you and lean on you. Father, help us that by this the world may come to know that we belong to you and you belong to us. Forgive us of the times we've sinned against you because of the way we've responded to trials. Help us now to respond them with uh, wisdom of your word and to have a biblical response uh, to the trials of life. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.